Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry, only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to Talking Hockey Sense. I'm Chris Peters. This is episode 48 of the podcast. So glad you could join us for this week's episode. We got a good one for you. We're getting very close to the NHL draft. It's approaching rapidly. The NHL scouting combine is this week. And today I will be talking to someone that's been covering the draft for quite some time. His name is Ryan Kennedy. You can read him at the Hockey News I'm sure you're familiar with him if you're familiar with prospects, and obviously the hockey news has been really one of the most important uh, media outlets when it comes to covering the NHL draft historically. I mean, for a long time, it was really the only place you could get prospect coverage, Um, and so Ryan is part of that legacy now. He's been there for quite a few years and um, does a really good job, and he's very well connected with scouts, and and on today's podcast, we talked a lot about the very top of the draft. So a lot more Shane Wright talk. You know, Ryan's got a lot of, of sources that say, you know, he, he couldn't find really anybody that didn't have Shane Wright number one. I have more than a few that that are not as convinced. Um, so it's good to get those those perspectives. We talk to different people, we hear different things. And so, you know, it gives you a little bit of an idea of kind of where things are. Now, we both think that it's more likely than not that Shane Wright will go first overall. But... We don't know for sure, and it's going to be very interesting to find out all of um, you know what what you'll hear from Ryan, what he's heard, and just the case for Shane Wright as the number one prospect. Um, so hope you enjoy that. After the interview with Ryan, I will have a question and answer period, um, mostly tied to the 2022 NHL draft, but I did get some other uh, topics covered as well, including college hockey, um, a little bit of the NHL, and even. Um, the obligatory Mighty Ducks question from my good friend Sean Leahy, who always uh, likes to to bring that to the to the podcast, and I enjoy it because um, I'm a sucker for that kind of thing. Uh, but mostly, we will be talking about the NHL draft, so we will get to that interview with Ryan in just a second. We'll start there, and then we'll have the Q and A. I did want to give you a quick disclaimer: um, the interview with Ryan. There were a couple moments of technical difficulties throughout that that I tried to clean up as best I could. There are a couple times where his audio cut out, and you might not get the entire question, but by the you should be able to hear the entire. Uh, you, you'll get the get the context of the answer still, um, and. 
Uh, yeah, but that's just something that I, I had to uh, edit around a little bit just because we had a couple of technical difficulties. I had a couple things on my end, um, including a, a an unruly dog at one point. So there might be a little bit of uh, rockiness in the transition. So I apologize for that. But mostly I think you're going to get good content, good, good, uh, good information out of that. And then we'll have that Q&A. Um, and then before I get to that interview, um, I am recording this on Wednesday morning. I had hoped to record it on Tuesday, but um, as the parent of two school-age children, um, the events in Texas have really, uh, I don't you know, hit me and hit my wife. And, um, it, you know, it's just one of those things where you know, couldn't really even watch hockey last night. Um, you think about things and, and you get emotional about it. And I know, you know, we usually don't talk about this kind of thing. Um, on this podcast, but I, I I can't not talk about it. You know, I dropped my kids off at school this morning. And it was uh, it was hard. That's how is how is that even? You know, how is that even possible? That the safest place or one of the safest places you could ever hope to have your children, you're worried about them, and we hear it all the time. We've gone through this so many times in this country. Um. And I just, I want to know when it's going to end. I'm sick of, I'm sick of all, all of the, uh, the statements that I've seen from politicians. I'm sick of all of the, uh, the arguments that I've seen about, you know, this entire debate. How do you debate that? How do you debate what's happening to children? You know, we can all have our theories as to why it happens. And yes, we need to do more with mental health. And yes, we need to do more with, you know, protecting schools and everything else. But this is the only country where this happens on a regular basis. You know, we're we're not so far removed from Parkland, Florida. We're, you know, Sandy Hook still feels like yesterday. And I know there are a lot of parents that listen to this. I know there are a lot of, um, you know, Americans. I know there are a lot of non-Americans. And you're probably wondering, how the hell does this keep happening? And I wish I could tell you. I wish I had an answer. Um, I just think that we have to pause on this grief and allow it to guide us in the next steps and how to fix this. And I hope that politicians do that Um you know, this isn't a, a Democrat or Republican issue. This is a this is a humanity issue. And for whatever reason, we're not valuing humanity enough in this country. And I don't know if, you know, this is a hockey podcast. What can I say? And there are probably some people that have already fast forwarded through it. And I don't blame you because I'm sure that you're sick of hearing all this stuff, too. But I dropped my kids off an hour ago at school and I'm worried. And that's what I'm thinking about today. So. You know, we have a good relationship, the the listeners of this podcast, and certainly the people that uh, that have tuned in. I, I really appreciate the interaction, the kind words, the things that you guys have said. You know, this is just a something that I felt I had to get off my chest. I, you know, it's not something that I'm going to be writing about. It's not something I'm going to be tweeting about. Um, it's just something that I needed to say um, somewhere, and I hope that you don't mind you know, an anguished parent expressing that, that grief. And I hope that you can find it in your heart to, you know, do what you need to do, um, to, to process this, to, 
to then uh, channel this and, and, and try to make some action. I mean, I know I'll be making some phone calls to my local politicians about what I hope to see, um, what I, what I want to see next. And I want what the action that I want. Um, and I hope that you will too, because this has gone on for far too long and, I'm really sick of reading all these statements about thoughts and prayers and, and, and zero activity. So, yeah. So, no easy way to transition from that. But we're going to get back to the hockey. And, and I appreciate you indulging me for just a couple of minutes. Like I said, I feel like uh, the relationship that I have with you, the listener, the, the feedback that you guys are constantly giving me um, about this podcast and the relationship, you know, when, when you listen to it, how you listen to it, uh, it means a ton to me. And so I really appreciate uh, you know you listening to that little bit there that's uh, not quite on topic. But we'll get back to the hockey now, and we'll go to my interview with Ryan Kennedy uh, from the Hockey News. I've known Ryan for a really long time and have always respected his work and his work ethic and also um, you know, the fact that he has been in this game uh, longer than I have in terms of you know writing about the prospects and and bringing a lot of uh, great content to this uh, to to the prospect space over the years at the Hockey News. So, without further ado, here is my interview, my conversation with my good friend Ryan Kennedy from the Hockey News. Well, I'm very pleased to be joined by a guy I've been meaning to have on this podcast for, oh, I don't know, since I started it. I've been friends with with Ryan Kennedy for a long time. We we cover the same ground often um, in our content, but joining me for the first time ever on Talking Hockey Sense is Ryan Kennedy from the Hockey News. Ryan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much. Long time listener, first time caller. <laughs> That's right. And I'm going to keep you on for a while, so please don't hang up and listen. Um, right. Yeah, so... So Ryan, it is draft time. And, you know, I think one of the, one of the things that always strikes me about the hockey news is now there is such a proliferation of prospect coverage, but for a long time, the only place you were going to get it was with the hockey news. And, and that's kind of been the the world that you've lived in for a good chunk of your time uh, with that publication. So before I get into the actual draft coverage, what's it like to be kind of part of that legacy that you know continues today and and you guys have your draft preview out it's still you know all you kids out there you can still read magazines and and pull it open i mean i'm i was an avid avid reader of magazines for for the longest time obviously so much is digital and you can get it digitally as well but now ryan you're you're a part of a of a great tradition in a publication that's really been on the on this beat for forever yeah and i mean it's super fun and you know, from my early days covering prospects, when I would go to the draft combine, which in those days was held in the suburbs of Toronto and Mississauga, which is actually where I grew up. It was so cool because you would see the teams with draft preview. And that was just, it was, so, it was the only publication you would see at the actual combine and, and, you know, scouts would be flipping through it and it was very validating early on. And there's also sort of a responsibility to it. But, you know, it's, it's one of my favorite issues, if not the uh, top issue for me to, to help put together every year. And, you know, I mean, you and I, we, we kind of do the, the same kind of things where you're talking to scouts uh, for most of the season 
and sort of getting an idea of, of who these players are, what the scouts think of them, you know, it, whether they're, they're trending up or down. And that's the most fun I have all year is just having anonymous conversations with NHL team scouts because, you know, they can speak their mind. And you know, I feel it's good now to just sort of say things out loud sometimes to kind of a neutral observer. Um, and so, you know, having all these conversations uh, with, you know, scouts from around the world, frankly, um, you just, you're trying to put together a puzzle and this, this right now, ironically is my most anxious time of year because the magazine's done, but the, the, the chatter hasn't stopped and it right. won't stop until the actual picks are made. And we, we, you know, we do have the draft combine coming up and, and that's the part for me where it's like, I, I always want as much time as possible to finish the rankings. And you know, eventually my editors are like, okay, like, you know, layout has to put these guys in order. And I'm like, ah, okay. But you know, this is coming up. It's like, oh, I wish I could talk to one more person, but you got to cut it off at some point. And, and at, that, at this point, you know, I can do mock drafts and I can kind of play around online with that, but the magazine's done. So yeah. the rankings are there. And, and, you know, every year we just, we hope to give people a sense of what's most likely to happen in the draft. Right. And that's, I think that's, that's all you can really do because it even even you know when it whether it's you or whether it's bob mckenzie at tsn or whether it's anybody any of us that that pull scouts or even if you just take a, a conglomeration of the public rankings and put them out there you're never going to get a perfect uh a perfect list and you're never going to get the list that's going to have the, the draft rankings exactly right but if you can get an idea that's a nugget um, and and I, I guarantee you, you know, teams still read all of that stuff. They read those publications as part of their draft preparation because they need to know what the market may say about some of these guys. So that's one of the other things that, you know, you say like people like us, you know, we, we aren't the professional scouts, but we're those, the stuff that we put out there is being consumed by NHL teams to, as, as a way for them to try and say, can we really get player X at number 35 or is it? is he so high on these public lists that, you know, maybe, but then there are always those guys that are way high on public lists and fall guys that are way low on public lists that go, you know, I mean, nobody had more at cider as a top six pick, you know, and, and then all of a sudden there he is and, and has continually proven the, the Red Wings right on that. So, you know, yeah, it was pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. It's like, like I had him, I think I had him like 15th or something like that. And I, I think mine was maybe the highest. So it's like, I'll take the victory lap, but it's like, I still was wrong. So you know, I still, still was wrong. So, um, but yeah, but, but, but yeah. So one of the reasons I want to have Ryan on is because the, the draft um, issue is, is done. The rankings are done. The um, you know, he's gotten that sense and, and has talked to the scouts all throughout this year. And so Ryan, you know, as we get closer to this draft, um, and you have a good frame of reference of overdoing this over the years. What's your sense on the top of this draft in terms of the number one pick? Because we, you know, as we know now, there is at least enough chatter that says, hey, Shane Wright is probably going number one. But there are enough doubters out there to say it's not. It, can we call him consensus? Well, I guess in the public list, you would say yes. But is it consensus internally? I don't know. So I just wonder from your perspective, having done this for a long time, uh, what has this year been like trying to track who's going to really go number one? 
It's been interesting because I've always been a huge Shane Wright booster. And, and there were certainly times, you know, early in the season where he was like, oh, he's not like producing too much. And then, you know, there was a couple of things that came out from TSN and RDS saying maybe he's not the top prospect. And then, you know, ironically, Shane Wright would go out and get like three points that night or four points. And for me, you know, like I haven't talked to anybody that has said he's not number one. Um, and, you know, some of the scouts I talked to say, well, look, like he's not a pull you out of your seat kind of player. That's that's not his game. He is more in the Jonathan Taves, Patrice Bertrand mold of he's going to do everything right. He's going to get you points. He's going to be a leader. And, you know, for me, watching Shane Wright, speaking with Shane Wright, you know, talking to everybody in, in the industry, I wouldn't be surprised if he's basically what we already see at the NHL level. So, you know, OK, maybe he's not going to get you 90 points or 100 points, but he could get you 70, 75 points and down the line, be a Selkie contender. And again, you know, going back to Patrice Bergeron now, and it's funny in draft preview, my column is how I hate making comparables because it's just like, everyone wants to know like who this kid is playing like, and it's, it's just weird all around because they haven't even stepped on NHL ice yet. But, you know, if you look at Patrice Bergeron, first of all, he was a second round pick. Um, and, you know, second of all, he doesn't put up a ton of points. That's more for Marshawn and Pasternak, but he's going to go down as possibly the greatest defensive forward of all time when he eventually retires. Um, Shane Wright can be similar in style in that sense where you're going to get an excellent, smart two-way player. You can play him in all situations. You know, he's going to help his line, but he might not be, you know, the big point guy on his line. It's kind of funny. I mean, you know, Montreal has the number one pick right now and we've seen Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield have amazing chemistry. Who's to say in a couple of years from now, you don't have Caulfield playing with Wright and they have a similar dynamic where Wright can do all the, the two way work and allow Caulfield to be that sniper that we've all seen he can be. I'm already making line combinations here. Obviously we're not even at that point. Um, but I mean, that's sort of where I'm at is I think the, the expectations were a little out of whack and I don't, I also feel like, especially at this time of year, there's a lot of intellectual dishonesty out there where teams that aren't even picking in the top 10 will be like, Oh, he's not a top 10 pick. It's like, well, yeah, I mean, you have nothing at stake. You don't even have a shot at it. I, I can't see anybody that I would put ahead of him. I mean, the upside of and yeah, he's an awesome young player, but he is a winger. And, you know, we've seen a great international track record, but if you look at the Finnish league, Joachim Kamel outpointed him by quite a bit. So there's, you know, there's pluses and minuses with all these guys. But I mean, if I had a chance to take Shane Wright on my team, I'm definitely leaping. Yeah, and I would say that one of the one of the key points that you bring up is, you know, we talk a lot about ceiling, but I think you also have to consider the floor. And if the floor is what Shane Wright is right now, he's an NHL player right now. I mean, like, you know, like he's, you know, and if he is, if he is, uh, if that is the case, and, and I, you know, certainly I've been one of the people that has been on the, you know, I, I like him. I don't love him. I think that he has, you know, I, I, 
He doesn't get me excited as a number one. Um, but at the same time, I still can recognize the fact that I think he's going to be an excellent NHL player and a long-term player, a guy that's going to play a lot of years and, and be a pretty good one. Um, and the other thing that's happened this year is that, you know, really we haven't seen anybody seize that role. They had, there hasn't been a single person that had a, had a year that was just out of this world. I mean, yes, we, you know, Simon Nemec had a great season in Slovakia there's no precedent for what he's done. That's it really impressive. But you, you know, if you watch him, you say that that's not a number one overall defenseman. I mean, he's, 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 he's a good defenseman. He's got a top, maybe top pairing potential. I think he's probably more like a, you know, three, four, but you know, it's like, that's That's my opinion. There are certainly teams out there that think he can be a number one. So, you know, it, it's really interesting to see that there are not really, you know, like, I had Logan Cooley number one at the, at the, at the midterm. And I thought his second half was disappointing. You know, like it wasn't, it was good. It was still good, but it wasn't wow. You know, like, and that's what we were looking for. We're looking for those, those wow things. I think that that's something that you kind of have to get comfortable with is there's not really a prospect that says, Holy smokes, this guy is going to be a superstar. I don't think that prospect, you can't see it now. That's not to say that there won't be superstars that come out of this draft because history shows there's usually, you know, a couple at least. So um, we'll see, but yeah, but that's interesting. I mean, and you've, you know, certainly you're, you're in Ontario, you've got a lot, a lot of things. And, and I would say like, you know, the scouts that have seen Shane Wright enough or a lot this year, you know, maybe it, maybe they didn't, he didn't progress to the level that they expected, but it's still been good enough to say, okay, well, he's going to be a good player, you know? So um, but yeah, but, but Brian, to, to get, to kind of bring it back to, um, you know, this, this, this is going to be fascinating to see in terms of, you know, let's just play the, the, I want to, I want to take this from the Montreal Canadians perspective in particular, you've got the number one pick you're hosting the draft. Even if, if, if you had any doubt right now, is there even a scenario where you don't pick Shane, Wright? Like, you know, is he, is there any chance that you can have the stomach for doing that? I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I guess the only scenario I could see would be if, if they preferred Logan Cooley uh, because he also plays center. Um, if you're the Montreal Canadiens, I mean, this is kind of perfect because you have no depth down the middle. Um, you know, you have Nick Suzuki and that's kind of it. And, you know, they whiffed on Jesperi Kotkaniemi, who I'd ever thought was a center to begin with, but hey, um, you know, um, but, you know, you just don't get the opportunity to acquire top end centers very often in the NHL. It's the most coveted position, um, even more so than goaltenders. You know, we uh, sometimes people say like, oh man, like, so-and-so team needs a goaltender. So hard to find goaltending. It's like, wait till the summer. It'll be like six on the market. Huso <laughs> or like, you know, like Jake Ottinger, he was a first round pick. Um, but it's like, he had to wait his turn in Dallas and all of a sudden he's amazing. Um, but top centers, I mean, they're not easy to acquire. And if you're picking, you know, first overall, I mean, we've seen it almost every year for the past decade. Yeah. You get some defensemen thrown in there. Owen power, Rasmus Dahlin for sure. They were the, they were the right picks those years, but 
I mean, to get a pivot that can anchor one of your top two lines, that's just that's something you cannot give up. And in Montreal's, you know, specific case, they really need a player like Shane Wright. I mean, Shane Wright could be like Philip Deneau with more scoring punch. Um, and, you know, to what you were saying, where it, it might not be like he'll be a good NHL, he might not be a wow NHLer. You know, I, I think maybe maybe that's how you kind of pitch him to Habs fans. It's like, remember how good Philip Deneau was? Imagine if he scored, you know, 15, 20 more points a season for you, but still had that, you know, two-way ability. So Yeah, that yeah, yeah. That, that, it seems like kind of like a best, you know, I think that'd be the best of the best scenario that you could hope for. If, if you're uh, Montreal. All right. I want to stick on the Shane Wright topic a little bit too, because, you know, as I, as I've been thinking about his season um, and while I didn't cover the John Tavares draft, I was still at USA hockey at that time. Um, this, this arc of this season for Shane Wright has felt like it's very closely followed similar to Tavares's where you know, everybody was kind of starting to pick apart his game as the draft season progressed. There was a lot of concerns about his skating. Can he be a number one center? All these different things. And, and I think there's probably an interesting thought exercise where you can go, if you could go back in time, would you rather have Victor Hedman or John Tavares? It's not an easy call. I don't think um, maybe it is for you now in hindsight, but at the time it certainly looked good for the Islanders, but this kind of feels similar to me to that. Are you getting any of those same vibes? And do you think maybe Shane Wright has been a victim of, of having his game picked apart too much? Oh, very much so. And, you know, it's interesting because that was the second draft I covered in person. The first was the Stamkos draft the year before in Ottawa. And I specifically remember there was an Islanders fan who brought different nameplates as a sort of tongue-in-cheek joke. He had Tavares, Hedman, and Matt Duchesne because – I'm not sure if you remember this or not, but they're a lot. Again, it's like the the sewing circle of pundits who are like, oh, maybe Matthew Shane's the best player in this draft. He obviously ended up going third. Um, but yeah, Tavares was definitely picked apart and skating was a big thing. And, you know, with Shane Wright, I think that people mention but don't really give enough weight to is that he didn't have a season last year. Well, didn't play because of the pandemic. So he missed an entire year, except for the world under 18s in Texas, where even though Wright missed two games, um, you know, he's missed a whole year of development. So the fact that he had that he was a top 10 scorer in the OHL this season, I think is pretty remarkable considering, you know, some of the other older players got to go to the AHL last year or, you know, the, they went elsewhere. Um, but yeah, I mean, Tavares was definitely picked up, you know, the similarities, they were, they both got exceptional status to join the OHL a year early. There was a lot of hype there and they played internationally for Canada. Certainly you know, I don't know if it's boredom that people don't like it when a prospect goes post to post, but there certainly is that sense of, oh, well, you know, he's not scoring enough. Um, you know, he should have better numbers. This is what Connor McDavid had. He was a junior, um, things like that. And again, at the end of the day, you know, the Tavares Hedman debate is a great one. Uh, obviously, Hedman has had, you know, much more team success and, you know, he does have the Norris. Tavares, Almost won the heart one year with the Islanders. I can't remember if he 
finished third in voting, um, but he was, he was pretty close. But obviously, you know, Hedden's had the, the better results that way. And that's a fun debate. But again, I mean, if you were the Islanders back then, how do you turn down so I, again with right i i think that um you know the spotlight has definitely been on him and pretty much on him alone this season maybe it's just because i haven't known who else to focus on and you know a guy like slavkovsky you know he goes on a tear at the olympics i mean that's a that's a fun story and it's easy to pick up on um because you know, everybody watches the Olympics. They they don't necessarily watch a lot of junior hockey, you know, or otherwise. <laughs> yeah. Or the Finnish league. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so you just get those tidbits. But Shane Wright, he's in Ontario. You know, it's it's easy to see. He was getting national broadcasts, whether it was TSN or CBC. Uh, so it's easy to hone in on him. Um, but yeah, I think it's it, it's a very interesting one. Of course, you know, at the end of the day, Tavares did go number one. And I, I like, I don't know how to describe this, but, you know, I mean, at least for me, it's like, I want people to know, get a sense of who's probably going to go where in the rankings. And you can make the debate like, oh, so-and-so might be a better player. It's like, okay, but they're not going number one. We know this guy is probably going number one. And, and, and that's the tough thing. I, again, you know, you do the Hedman Tavares, um, you know, Hedman is six foot six defenseman who can skate and do a lot out there, you know, in retrospect. Yeah, that's that's amazing if you get Victor Hedman. Um, but I mean, Ryan Murray went second overall and Morgan Riley turned out to be the better defenseman. He was taken several picks later. So it's having that hindsight is, just, you know, it makes so much of a difference. Um, but in the moment, to me, is kind of like he's the obvious guy. Like, why would you not want him on your team? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 always tough to say. I, I would say, like, the, the interesting thing that we're getting now with um, with Shane Wright is, and, and this is the conversation that I've had with with some scouts in in recent weeks, going back to the the, the world under 18s, just seeing guys, and you know, they were. They were all there watching Cooley and and watching, um, you know, some of them went over and watched Nemec in the in the Slovakian playoffs and everything. And and you know, some of the, there are questions about ceiling. And so we talked about it before. There's a there's a high floor for Shane Wright, probably the highest floor of any prospect in this draft. But the question is, and I think the reason that Slavkovsky has made a late push isn't just because of how he did at the Olympics, but he did produce better after he returned and then did pretty well, did decently well enough in the playoffs and then has gone to the world championship and is once again a top forward against NHL players um the question becomes who has the higher ceiling and if you're talking about um you know Shane Wright he's got all sorts of tools he's got great hockey sense the hockey sense to me is probably his best attribute and something that will help him is a reason that you know you have to at least if you're if you're on the fence that might be a, de- a determining factor for you um, but the question is there, I think there is a case that, that of the players in this draft, if you're looking, projecting the upside and the ceiling, you could make a case for Logan Cooley, the more dynamic skilled player, or your Slavkovsky, the more, the bigger physical package, 
the guy who's played with men, the guy who is, has, has scored at a, at a high level in internationally. And as Ryan mentioned, hasn't his point production in the, in Liga is not of a top tier player. It's just, you know, it doesn't match up quite as well, but I think, I just wonder in your conversation with scouts in terms of ceiling, how much does that conversation come up and how, how often did you hear, you know, things about when, when they're projecting certain players, there was a lot more talk about ceiling and or potential. Well, I mean, the one player that it definitely came up with uh, at sort of that top tier is Logan Cooley. And, you know, because he plays in the States, there's a lot of visibility from scouts and, and in the ATD, again, you know, that's a team that's heavily scouted. And, you know, they play a schedule where they, they do get to play against Division I NCAA competition, which is really nice because it's old, you know, they're older, they're stronger, they're more established. The thing with Cooley is you know, when scouts look at him, say, okay, well, he's a right now, but he still hasn't fully grown yet. You know, he's got kind of long limbs. And kind of short run, but once he gets stronger, that skating might hit another level. It's going to pop to another level. So there is some projection with Cooley. And I think that's very intriguing for scouts is to say, okay, well, he's pretty good now. What will he look like with an extra gear? And, you know, with Slapkoff, kind of interesting because I think for a lot of scouts, uh, particularly in Europe, where they had seen him in the Finnish league, they say, okay, well, which one are we getting? Are we getting Olympic Slavkovsky or are we getting, you know, uh, Finnish league Slavkovsky, TPS Slavkovsky, uh, <laughs> who, again, especially in the first half, basically had no points. I think he had three points or something um, heading into the Olympics. So, I mean, it's a tough job if you're a scout. And, you know, this happens with a lot of players where you, you say, okay, well, we think there's something there. And if X, Y, and Z happen, then he'll be amazing. But if they don't, then, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, if he's not on your top line, and I'm not talking about anybody specific here, but you know, if he's not on your top line, what is he? You know, because right. he's only scoring at the junior level. Um, so, I mean, again, it's, it's an unenviable job to be an NHL scout because the stakes are so high. And again, we're talking about teenagers where we're probably not going to see the best of them for three four years yeah that's that's absolutely true to you know you're you're always trying to ask these or answer these unanswerable questions the things that you can't know until it happens and one of the ones about Slavkovsky that I personally have it this is a theory of mine it's it's you know not anything you know it, it, it's projecting him out and, and the thing is I think that this has happened with some players and, and I, I'll use Lucas Raymond as the example that they, you know, they, they don't have great numbers in their, in their domestic league. They're not getting the same opportunities, but then you put them with NHL players and all of a sudden an entire element of their game opens up. And it's, it's an, op, it's an opportunity. Once they play with players that think the game at the level that they do, that can execute the plays that they make it, it, it allows them to have that production, to have that, that success. Um, so that's where I'm very intrigued by, um, by Slavkovsky is I do think that as we've seen him in these national team settings, when they put him on top lines with good players, guys, sometimes that have played in the NHL or guys that have played, you know, professionally for a long time, they can finish some of the plays that maybe some of the, the other guys that he would normally play with don't, 
Um, but again, you're you're just projecting. You're just saying, oh, maybe, maybe it'll happen that way. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's it's a tough one. Yeah. And what's interesting too is the you know, the converse of that is with with Shane Wright. Um, you know, there's a lot of weapons on that Kingston team, but you, you know, you do have to ask the question, like, how many points would he have if his teammates pass to him the way he passes to them or, or right. sets them up? And, you know, I was talking to Kingston's coach, Luca Caputi, um, a couple of weeks ago for the, the, the cover story for Draft Preview. He was saying, you know, like, look, people wondered about Shane Wright's numbers early on, but you know, we put him with two of our youngest guys because we had no OHL season year before. So like half the league were playing their first. And so you wonder why, you know, Matthew Soto got off to a great start. You know why Paul Ludwinski got off to a great start. It's because they were playing with Shane Wright and he was playing at a pace that was probably too much for them, but he helped them get up to speed. And then, you know, as you go on, and those guys sort of matured and, and got their sea legs, then you could put right with whether it was Zade Wisdom or Francesco Arcuri. Uh, he ended up playing a lot with Ludwinski, who's also up in the draft this year uh, near the end. But, you know, you could put him with other guys and and you saw more of a, uh, you know, more results. Uh, yeah, that, that and it is a fair point because, I mean, that's context is so important when you evaluate prospects and you know I, I think there's there's a lot of different you know there's there's so many different ways you can flip an argument too I mean like I you know I've, I've asked guys about that about you know who he played with and and they you know they said you know look at the guys that, that Sidney Crosby played with in Ramuski and they got drafted and never became anything you know like those yeah. types of, you know like those types of things like they got drafted because of Sidney Crosby and you know like all these different things that kind of come up um, and they're all valid points it's just you know you have to decide and each individual scout and team has to decide how to weight those different things. Um, and, you know, you, you did bring up a good point when you were talking about Shane Wright and the, and since you're Ontario based, I want to get your perspective on this as well. Um, and it's basically, there's a lost year and we still don't know how that's going to impact these players. Um I think it absolutely had an impact on Shane Wright. I think that was part of, in addition to playing with inexperienced players, part of the reason that he had a slow start is that, you know, he didn't have the same kind of year. And he also was injured at the under 18s. He had to rehab before he could train. Like there's all sorts of different things, but this is, go, you know, this could be one of the weakest Ontario hockey league seasons. Um, I can remember in, in terms of draft numbers for the first round in particular, there's still going to be a lot of OHL players drafted. Don't forget, you know, don't, they will get drafted, but it's kind of a crazy, crazy year. And I, I just wonder what the numbers are going to look like. Oh, I totally agree. And I mean, there was you know numerous times talking to scouts this year where they'd be talking about an OHL player and they say, boy, I, I really wish he had been able to play last year because we'd get a better sense of, of who he was. And, and I, I think we are going to see that. I mean, you know, obviously Shane Wright's going to be up there. I think Pavel Minchikov, uh, the defense of Saginaw, is obviously going to be a first rounder. Um, and you get there's like Belouz and Owen Beck with Mississauga. I, I'm a big Del Bell Belouz fan. I think he plays a great two-way game as well. Uh, but where does he go? Is Owen Beck a first rounder or is he a second rounder? You know, um, Panofemis, a guy in Niagara, where, you know, he was a uh, super high um, 
OHL pick. He was taken second overall behind Ty Nelson, but then Niagara didn't get to see him for a year because there was no season. And, you know, what does that do for development where you can't get on the ice and, and face that older, stronger competition right away? It's really tough. So I think, you know, with OHL draft picks, there's going to be a little more projection this year. And I think it's going to be very similar to last year's draft where teams with really smart scouts can hit some home runs. And the, the one I always look at is Wyatt Johnston, uh, taken by the Dallas Stars. Uh, and again, you know, last year there was no OHL season. So scouts really only had the world under 18s for Wyatt Johnston. But when I was talking to scouts beforehand, it was that sort of joke of like, oh, don't put him, you know, too high because we want to get him. You know, it's like, don't say anything good about Wyatt Johnston because we really like him. And then, of course, he has been a monster for the Windsor Spitfires this season um, because, you know, he skates so well and he is so smart. And, you know, I mean, he's probably going to be the MVP. You know, he's one of two finalists in the OHL. And I mean, just work by the Dallas Stars for identifying a kid by his tools in a very small window and saying, yeah, we see something there. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see uh, a couple of situations like that this year as well in the OHL where a team says, okay, we see the tools. We're willing to, you know, spend a first rounder on this kid or that kid, even if the numbers weren't as strong as we thought they might be. Yeah, that, I, I think that's that's going to be key. And I, I'm I'm fascinated personally by you know, those projections, because in the case of Wyatt Johnson, at least you had his rookie season where you could see the skill, you could see that there was, there was something there. I just, you know, I didn't know what to do with them that year. I, I mean, personally, I didn't, you know, how much do you, how much stock do you put into a rookie season? Same with Shane Wright. We're going to be doing that same thing this year. And if you say, well, well, the fact that he outproduced Connor McDavid in his first, in his rookie season was similar production of Connor McDavid in his, at his 15 year old season, you know, how much weight do you want to put in that versus, having the lowest points per game total since Rick Nash, you know? So it's like, that's kind of the other thing that you have to, there's, it's always a check and balance here. And, um, but yeah, but I mean, overall, Ryan, I mean, just in terms of, as you put your draft uh, issue together, any, anything else that, that kind of stands out to you, anything that trend trend lines or anything that, that, that kind of uh, caught you either, not, not necessarily by surprise, but just things that stuck stood out to you. Well, I think a really interesting trend to watch this year, as it is every year, is size, um, especially in the top 10. And, you know, one of my big debates internally was you got Matthew Savoy and you got Connor Geeky both playing for the Winnipeg Ice. Savoy obviously had a, a much bigger impact. Um, but Connor Geeky, six foot three, Matt Savoy is like five nine. So which one goes first? Um, in the top 10, it always seems to be the big guys. And you know, like Cole Caulfield was not a top 10 pick. Max Domi wasn't a top 10 pick, uh, despite his great numbers. So that one to me is super fascinating. And then sort of a little further down the line, NTDP, what you do with a five foot six, five foot seven defenseman. I think there are teams that really like him, but when do they pull the trigger? So that's the to me the number one trend. Yeah, absolutely. This is there. There are so many little guys in this draft that are super intriguing, you know, like guys that are below. And I, when I say little guys, 
just understand that I am also a little guy. Um, and I, I disparage no one, but, um, but yeah, but I mean, that, that's, that's pretty fascinating. Um, just to see kind of where things are at. Uh, yeah. So we, we've talked about, you know, the OHL, we've talked about the size, we've talked about all of those different things that have kind of come in here. I do want to take a, a second to talk a little bit about the defenseman in this draft. You mentioned a guy like Pavel Mintukov, but you know, before him, there's Simon Nemich, David Juracek. Um, I want to stop on, on those top two guys. And that's where I I've seen a lot of differing opinions between uh, multiple places or among multiple places. So um, just kind of your get wanted to get your sense of where things are between those two guys. Who do you think has the edge heading into the draft um, and what are maybe some of the things that you've heard for and against uh, them? Yeah, I, I feel like it's a toss up at this point. And Nemich having that incredible playoff run obviously helps him. But, you know, Juracek's back and healthy after that knee injury uh, and playing internationally as well. So good for him. Um, I, I am very interested to see how high the top defensemen go. I mean, we all talk about New Jersey going potentially with Slavkovsky at two because they don't need centers, but a, a winger would be great for them. But I mean, if they'd got a defenseman, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be mad at that either. You know, if you can add one of those two guys, I really think it comes down to personal preference, you know, talking to teams, I know some prefer Nemich, uh, you know, they like the right shot, the power play quarterback. Um, but then other teams, you know, you look at your check, he's like six foot three, got a bit more of a rugged game and he's got that bomb shot as well. So, you know, you're getting offense and defense from both of those guys. I do really think it'll be a personal preference. And what I am interested in seeing is, you know, if say Nemich goes second or third, does Juracek go right after, you know, do they go back to back where the next team is like, okay, well, we didn't get that guy, but uh, we need one of these top defensemen. Or do they say, Oh, awesome. We preferred this guy. And the other guy went first. Um, so that'll be really interesting. It's, do they go two, three? Do they go three, four? Do they go four, five? Is there a separation in between based on, you know, the team depth charts and, and who they want? Um, so that's the fascinating one to me. And I will say, I'm also fascinated by where Ryan Chesley from the NTDP goes, because I've talked to multiple teams who have him as the third best defenseman behind Nemec and Juracek. And I know in a lot of public rankings, some people don't even have them in the first round. Um, and maybe I'm just sticking my neck out and it'll get chopped off in the end. But this is like a Ryan McDonough kind of player and uh, super, super strong. Uh, I'm, I'm very fascinated to see where Ryan Chesley goes because I have him kind of top 10, you know, sort of 10, 11, you know, if you're counting mock drafts at this point. Um, I know that's a lot higher than most people, but Teams keep telling me they love him, so I don't know what else to do. Yeah, he is he is a tricky one just because he does have so many tools, and you just say, okay, well, just you know, is the offense going to come a little bit more? Is the you know, is he going to as he gets stronger, how much better is he going to be defensively? And you know, he, he comes from that national team development program, and he's on the same cycle as the guys that you know, like the same coaches that uh, like Nick Four, who just became the the head coach of, of the NTDP, has been there for McAvoy. And has been there for Jake Sanderson. And now Ryan, you know, is Ryan, I don't think Ryan Chesley, not, at least for me personally, he's not in that tier, but he is absolutely, um, he's in my first round. He'll be, I'm, I haven't finalized my list, but you know, as he goes, 
you know, you watch him, especially at the under 18 world championship, that was a great opportunity for him to, to really stake his claim as, as, as a, a guy that can be a number one or a top four defenseman. And I, I think he, he really, he really did a good job there um, making a case for himself. So defenseman is going to be interesting. You got guys like Mintukov, Korchinski, Pickering, um, you know, you mentioned Lane Hudson, Seamus Casey, all these guys, you know, there are plenty of guys that could very well go in that first round range. There can be guys that slip out completely you just you never know with this class and you know I I think that the thing that we're going to find is that especially you know you mentioned a guy like Chesley there's going to be those guys that are quote-unquote off the board picks but that like one thing that I've heard about a lot of the mock drafts that have been put out from scouts is too too much chalk too much chalk out there it's not going to happen somebody something crazy is going to happen and and, the Tyler uh, Boucher exactly Tyler Boucher just out of nowhere going in the top 10 like it, anything can happen. And the, the thing is, is that when we do put those mock drafts together, it's impossible to know which, because if there is a team that's going to make a swing like that, you will never find out because that, that is, is the, oh, they, will, sure. they will protect that secret. You know, I mean, there have been years where, where teams have said, Oh, we had this guy one, we had this guy three, we had in the, and we got him at 30, you know, or whatever, you know, and it's yeah. like, okay, well, good for you guys trying to make yourself sound good. So, but, but in actuality, they probably did have that. The, the, the public boards that we put together, um, you know, definitely show some amount of what's out there. But as you said, it's just giving you an idea. It's certainly not the gospel. Um, we just try to do the best we can to be uh, as close as we can and hope we look real smart in the end. But that's the way it goes. So, uh, Ryan, before I get you out of here, too, you know, this is, um, you know, I, I think the excitement for this draft is going to be dwarfed significantly by the excitement for next year's draft, just in terms of the what's available at the top. Um, you know, Connor Bedard watch is, is on, I think, especially given the fact that, that Russia is uh, Russia right now and everything's going on there. That's kind of, you know, on top of that, and Matt Vaymichkov is under contract for a long time. Um, you know, I think he's still one of the, smartest hockey players I've ever seen in my life um, and uh, would take them in a heartbeat. But at the same time, there's a lot of complications there, but that's not it. There's guys like, you know, Charlie Stramel. There's multiple players in the other uh, Adam Fantilli, who is very likely to be, you know, top three. And then you've got those kids that have had amazing seasons in the WHL. You're just like, well, whoa, what is going on? There's all these different players. Um, 2023 looks like it's going to be fun. And the other thing that's going to be fun about it is like, I think we're actually going to get a normal draft here, like a Holinka where it's supposed to be with all the teams that are supposed to be in it, except for Russia. And then you get, you know, all those other, all those other kind of things. So, I mean, I'm pretty excited about 2023. I wonder what your early, uh, early takeaways are for, from that class and w- what you're looking forward to about that group as well. Yeah, certainly. I'm, I'm on the same page as you. I mean, Connor Bedard has been fantastic. Um, Right now, you know, like when we did Future Watch, I had Adam Fantilli too, uh, because of Matthew Mitchkoff's contract situation, where if you draft him, you're not going to see him until 2026. And, you know, he plays for SKA St. Petersburg, which is like, you know, the top tier of the KHL now. It's not like he's playing for a team that you can kind of like slide a couple of bucks and they'll let him go. Like SKA St. Petersburg is the jewel of the KHL and has been for a number of years right now. So they're not, I don't see a scenario where they let him cut out early. Uh, Dalibor Dvorsky, the Slovakian kid uh, playing in Sweden, who had a fantastic season and, you know, was part of that, um, that Holinka team that Slovakia uh, 
ended up with silver, you know, I guess it was two years ago now. Um, I think it's going to be a really fun draft. Um, I've always been a big Braden Jaeger fan, talking about the WHL. Mm-hmm. Um, he's up playing for Moose Jaw, which is a program that's developed a lot of great players. Uh, Stramel, as you mentioned, you know, uh, really fun seeing him at the end of the NTDP season. Obviously, he missed a lot of time during injury, but just a nasty kid on the ice. And it's fun because you don't see that kind of surliness and just like, a kid that knows he's the biggest on the ice and is basically like, what are you going to do about it? I'm going to go right in your crease. What are you going to do about it? Like, (laughs) I don't want to compare him to like Eric Lindros because Lindros was like a phenom, but in just in terms of like, you know, being a man child and sort of having the, the attitude to back it up. I mean, it's fun watching Stramel out there just like messing with people. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, he. It, there were so many clips that I pulled out of his his first under eighteen when he was an underager, and it's just guys bouncing off of him, like literally bouncing a foot off of him. Um, and it'll be interesting to see. You know, he he's going to be playing college hockey, and and that's going to be you know th- that can be a good thing, it can be a bad thing. You know, in terms of you know the types of numbers that he puts up. You know, everybody was kind of concerned. Oh, Brady Kachuk didn't really produce that well. I think he's done all right. Um, I think so. so. Okay. Yeah, I think he's. I think he's been okay. Yeah, and and I I always think back now for when I think of that draft with Brady Kachuk, I always think back to the woman that was shown on the draft footage in the Montreal Canadiens jersey when they picked Kakeniemi and and her just absolute horror at the pick. It is one of my favorite things I've ever seen. And then and then for a while there, it looked like, hey, lady, calm down. He's a great player. He's going to be really good. And then now he's not with the Habs anymore. And you know not not a center probably and not what they drafted him to for need and yeah it, so you've been vindicated horrified right. habs lady we're we're we've we've vindic- we officially talking hockey sense has vindicated you um and and hope that you are enjoying the next draft and hope that that doesn't happen to you the next time but hey if they pick your eye slipkovsky We'll see. <laughs> that, <that's laughs> right. the, see, see, and, and as we talked about earlier, it's just like now that the Habs have the number one pick, they're at home. If you, if let's say you do buck convention, what is that? Like your fan base might tear the building down. I don't know. It's, it's, you know, like, so there's, it, it's so interesting, but, and that was the other thing. A lot of teams were like, oh man, I'm so glad we don't have, like are not in that situation. Cause you know, cause they, there are, there are teams out there that don't have Shane Wright number one on their board, but there are also probably a lot more that do. So uh, yeah, it's going to be crazy. This is going to be a wild draft. I think it's going to be unpredictable. And if you want to continue to, uh, um, you know, learn up on the draft, I mean, the hockey news has always been a great source for that. And Ryan, uh, glad you're a part of that tradition and have maintained it and keep it on going and hope that uh, you enjoy uh, a little bit of rest after putting that bad boy together and uh, just fire it right back up when it's time to get to the draft. That's right. And we got the combine coming up and we yep, got lots to go the draft itself. And it's going to be in person for the first time in years, which is awesome. And reporters, we all love Montreal. So I think it's going to be a super fun. 
yeah, I just hope everybody makes it out alive. So uh, anyway, <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun to have that in Montreal, and especially with the Habs picking first overall. Well, Ryan, I, I really can't thank you enough for the time that you took today. It's great to have you. I'm sorry it took me so long to get you on here because uh, I've always valued our conversations and uh, it's great to bring it to uh, to an audience. So I uh, hope the audience enjoyed it as well, but that's it. Uh, Ryan, thank you so much. Really appreciate you having you on this week. Sounds great. Thanks for having me. Always, always fun talking to you too, man. Once again, my thanks to Ryan Kennedy for joining me on this week's episode. Hope that you guys enjoyed that conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. Again, sorry for some of the technical difficulties. Try to edit around it as best I could, uh, but that was, uh, you know, technology. We're dealing with. Uh, with uh, Zoom interviews, and sometimes the internet doesn't do exactly what we want, but I think you got the gist of everything that Ryan was able to say um, there, and and really good insight in terms of what scouts are saying. So I did want to get some questions in, not as many as we would normally do in a Q&A episode, but always want to answer your questions. I did get a few um, out there. We've got draft questions. We've also got a few other things. Also wanted to remind you that the... Uh, the draft is coming up, you know, at early July. We're a little over a month away now. The scouting combine will be going on uh, as we record this next weekend, um, the weekend that's coming up uh, here in Buffalo. I will not be there. Normally I would be, but this year I'm not going to be there. I have a few other things I need to tend to. Um, and, uh, you know, there's just not not enough uh, not enough time in the day and also the uh, – the travel to get to Buffalo turned out to be really, really expensive. So I probably would have found a way, but um, unfortunately, just because of a couple of other things, I can't really do that right now. Um, so I won't be there, uh, but I will obviously have commentary. I'll be getting results from that combine um, as well to uh, you know share uh, thoughts on what it, what it means. But the as I'll always say, the most important thing about the scouting combine is the interview process and the medical element. Um, those are the two primary things. The physical stuff is important, but it's not as important as some of the other things. But you look at some of these guys like Josh Norris, who absolutely tore apart the scouting combine. And, and, and it did help his draft stock. It did. Because they're like, wow, he does all these other things. And look at the physical tools that he brings to the table. And... You know, Josh Norris was a late first round draft pick, obviously got traded eventually from San Jose to Ottawa in the Eric Carlson trade. And what a pro he's turned out to be for Ottawa. I remember at that time in that trade, I didn't think Ottawa got enough. I think in hindsight, getting Josh Norris, huge pickup for the Senators, and he's been awesome. And, and that's a guy that really stood out at the scouting combine uh, that made an impact. So it matters. It's not the end all be all. It's certainly not something that I'm going to say, oh, wow, you know, like, you know, this is going to change materially change my draft rankings. But those draft rankings will be coming out very soon on dailyfaceoff.com. It'll be the final draft rankings. I'm just waiting for a couple of things to end up. It will happen before the end of the CHL playoffs. Um, you know, I think we've learned enough about the players that are in there. And, and so there's plenty to go off of. So Stay tuned for that coming up on Daily Faceoff. I also have a few more things coming on um, Hockey Sense on Substack, which you can get uh, still subscribe. Uh, I recommend taking the monthly subscription because there is uh, there will be some updates in the coming weeks about uh, the future of Hockey Sense uh, on Substack and a couple of other things um, I can't talk about yet. But I just wanted to give you the heads up. If you are going to subscribe, do a monthly. Don't do the annual. Um, it'll all 
come out in a few weeks, but I, I will still be continuing to populate that site with content. You can read full player reports on every player from Team USA, um, Sweden and Finland, uh, the key players from Sweden and Finland on there. It's my part one of my draft, my player reports specifically from the under 18 world championship. So it's not the full package, um, but it is from that specific tournament, what we learned about those players and what it says going into the draft. So uh, you could check that out. And there will also be a few more newsletters coming your way uh, in the lead up to the draft. All right. Now it's time to get to those. Uh, again, that's hockey I should probably pr- promote it properly, but again, Go for the monthly at $6 a month, um, and uh, you can cancel any time. Okay, so our first question, we're going to stick start with 2022 draft questions, then I'm going to move on to a couple of other ones that I got. Um, really interesting stuff, and I always like answering your questions anyway. So this first one comes from Tristan A. If you were Tom Fitzgerald, what kind of player or package would you consider moving second overall for? Very interesting question, um, because it sounds like you know the Devils are at least, you know, it, this number two could be in play for the right package. Here's the thing. You know that you will probably get no, you know, no worse than one of the top two defensemen in this draft class, Uri Slavkovsky, maybe Shane Wright if, if Montreal pulls up a, a surprise, or Logan Cooley. I think those are the, the five picks, Juracek, Nemich, Slavkovsky, Wright, and Cooley. Those are the five players that I think you would say, okay, if we can get any one of those players, we're really happy about what we have. Um, in the draft. However, there is a, a possibility that you could get something that helps you more immediately. They have their top two centers in Nico Heischer and Jack Hughes. You don't necessarily need a Shane Wright or a Logan Cooley. Now, Cooley probably, maybe, well, I, I don't want to say probably, but he, I think he can be a center at the NHL level, but you can also move him to the wing. I think if you're going to draft Shane Wright, you want him to be a center. Um, you know, So those are the types of things that you have to consider. Uri Slavkovsky, Top six guy, how good would he look next to Jack Hughes for a long time? You get a big winger, you get a guy that can score, you get a guy that, you know, you put him with the right people. And as I mentioned in the interview with Ryan, I think he's the type of player that you put him around NHL players and his game is going to flourish because they will be able to handle some of the plays that he can make better and he'll be able to convert on plays that they make for him. So basically the package that you have to consider is an established top six forward in the NHL. Somebody that's a little bit on the younger side that has a little bit of term. Now, how many teams are going to be willing to to move that kind of player? But that's the kind of thing that I would be looking for if I were them. Or you get some of that defensive help. You get a top four defenseman. You get a guy that can, you know, kind of seamlessly come in there, defends a little bit better. Um, you know, they've got guys like Dougie Hamilton and Damon Severson and 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 others, but they need um, some more sturdy defense. They've got Luke Hughes coming, offensive-minded defenseman. They've got Shakir Mukumadulin coming eventually down the road, more defense, you know, more defensively capable. Um, but really, I think that you want to shore up that blue line. That's probably an area, especially you know, with PK Subban moving on, you want to have somebody that's gonna gonna help there. So those are the types of things. I could also see a very strong scenario for for um, uh, New Jersey trading down. I wouldn't want to trade any further than, you know, the three teams that are below you. So if there's a team that desperately wants Slavkovsky, if there's a team that desperately wants Nemich or, or Juracek or whatever, or, or Cooley, consider flipping picks and getting a little bit more value out of the next thing. Because I don't think there's enough separation between the, you know, really those top three guys. I think that's a really razor thin margin between Shane Wright, Uri Slavkovsky, and Logan Cooley. My personal opinion I also think that there's not a huge gap 
for those next defensemen, Juracek and, and Nemec. I think they are right in that mix as well. And then, you know, there are other guys that you could bring in. Like if you got Joachim Kamel, I think you'd be really happy about that too. So trading down somewhere, I'd say, you know, five would probably be the lowest I'd want to trade down to, but I could consider six or seven, depending on how, what the board says. And this also could be one of those things where you see, you wait and see what, what the, what the trade winds are blowing on draft day. But I think that with that number two pick, the Devils are in such a position of power. They could not have asked for a better opportunity than to get that number two overall pick because it opens up so many possibilities, including just taking the best player. And in my opinion, if Uri Slavkovsky is there, it's a no-brainer pick for them. However, if they want some of that defensive help, do you go with the, you know, two guys? Like I, I think I think with Nemec, you're getting something a little bit similar to Luke Hughes with a little less goal-scoring talent. On the other hand, you know, he's a right a right shot version, essentially. And then you also look at, at Juracek, and now you've got this big guy that can play. He defends well enough. He, he's got some offensive capabilities. You know, so there are a lot of questions that you have to ask. But the great thing about where the Devils are right now is they have options. And I think if, you know, the only way I move to is if I get an established top six winger, if I get an established top four defenseman, or I'm able to trade down and re- get some more assets for... Um, that number two pick in addition, because I don't think the separation among those players is enough to give me much pause. But I mean, when you see a six foot four winger that scores the way that Slavkovsky does, and if he's still on the board there, you know, I, to me, I think that's the the only pick for that team. But I, I, but they they may think differently. I'm not in their draft room, so I couldn't tell you. All right, the next question comes from Martin, and he asks, who's going to fall to the Kings in round one? Any goalies worth picking in round two? To answer the second question, no. I don't think so. I think this is about as weak a year as goal, for goaltending as I've seen. Um, you know, the some. I think my personal favorite goalie for this year is, is Hugo Havilid, and he is not probably going to get drafted that early as a 5'10 goalie. Um he may not get drafted at all. You never know. I think he probably, you know, his his world under 18s probably gets him in the conversation. But it'd be a late later round pick. I mean, there are other other goalies in this draft that you can look at, but I mean, there just aren't very many there that uh, that jump out at me as 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 being able to be picked in round two. So I would say no to no to that. To answer the first question, I think the Kings are in a really interesting position here at 19th overall. And with the prospect system that they have in place, with the number of young players they have, this is an opportunity for them to do a, a number of different things. I think they could trade down, get some more assets. They could get, you know, you could get some opportunity to to, to find those players, or you can take a bit of a swing here um, at that nineteen twenty range. We're talking about guys like Brad Lambert. Will he still be there? I think he will be. Um, I think there's a, he is a high risk, high reward pick because he's probably the best skater and one of the most skilled players in the draft. I personally don't, um, wouldn't recommend him if I was there. Uh, if say I was in the room, I wouldn't say, yeah, that's the guy because, but knowing full well that they have that prospect system, I'd say, well, he does have all these tools and it maybe is worth taking a swing and maybe we land a superstar. Um, but there is so much concern surrounding his game of, of if he would ever reach that potential, um, even though the physical tools are so incredible. So that's a guy you could look there. How far are the Russians going to slip? Will Danila Yurov still be on the board there? If he is, no-brainer for me. 
Um, if uh, Ivan Marashashenko is on there, and we know that Marashashenko, it sounds like his prognosis is much better. There's 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 optimism about where he's going to be health wise after dealing with Hodgkin's lymphoma, and he is very much a, a, a prospect. You know, if when healthy one of the best players in this draft. If he's there, do you say, okay, we can take the chance. We have the time to wait. Um, that's possible. Kings are really interesting. They've, they've, they've never shied away from taking risks. They've never shied away from, you know, that you look at the different picks that they've made over the years, you know, getting Arthur Kaliev early in the second round. Nobody wanted to take him in the first. They took him very early in the second um, and man, you know, managed to get a player that's on their roster right now. Um, so they've got some real good tools, uh, at their at their disposal um in terms of the number of prospects that they have but in that range i think that's where you could take some swings you look at like a philip mayshar who um is is an undersized speedy winger maybe that's a guy that you want to take in there um you know so there there are going to be options to the kings uh at that pick and you know i think that there's a chance like if brad lambert's there and and you say okay well do we take a swing um, I think the Kings are uniquely positioned to do that that early in the draft. Brandon asks, how likely are teams to trade their first round picks and which teams are most likely to move up for the right player? And can the Kraken have them all? Um, very interesting. You know, I think that the Kraken are in a really good spot at number four. I would not waste the assets to try to get up uh, any higher um, unless it's a lower price. So say you want to get up to number two, to take Slavkovsky. I, I still think whoever's left at four, if it's you know the defenseman, if it's Cooley, if it's Slavkovsky, who knows? Um, if it's Shane Wright, because that's an interesting topic. If, let's say, Montreal does not take Shane Wright, it would be shocking. But I don't think New Jersey would take him either. I don't think there's a spot. For, uh, he's just not an organizational fit at this point. You could say, okay, best play, always take the best player available. Not always. <laughs> not always. Uh, not always when there's no spot in your top six for a player like that. Um, but it's, I mean, it's possible. Then you go to the next, would he get past Arizona? Uh, probably, probably not, but I don't know. You never, you really never know. So it is, it, would it be possible that he slips to the crack? And, yeah. So I think staying at four is a good spot for them. Um, in terms of, you know, teams trading up and, you know, I just, I, I don't think that there's enough value outside of the top, you know, five, six guys that would make you want to really go for broke this year, especially, you know, if it costs you assets for next year, let's say it costs you next year's first over or first round pick, um, you know, unless that's lottery protected, you don't want to, you don't want to use that. Um, so there's a lot of different things, but you know, so I would say though, I think that the, it's very, very likely that teams are going to try to trade down this year. Um, you know, where they're where they're they're a little bit more eager to say, hey, we'll pick up a second or third, we'll pick up another second. Um, you know, I think you look at a team like Arizona and the assets that they have, the number of second round draft picks that they have. You know, do they have the capability to move up? Do they have something that you know, maybe they uh, they really want a certain player? They have three first rounders, four second rounders, and one in the third round. I mean, this is it, it's an incredible war chest of picks. Um, granted, Carolina and Arizona and Colorado's first round picks are going to be quite low. Um, that's still 
you know, you have two of those to potentially move up and, and say, well, you know, we'll move, we'll use those picks to move up to wherever, if, if that's really what you want. So, you know, I think Arizona and teams like them that have the picks to spare are absolutely in the mix to do that. I think, you know, Seattle, if they see something there that, that works for them, if they see something in that, in that range, you know, they also have a ton of picks. They have four second round draft picks. So use those to move up. I mean, those are the, those are the things, if there is a player there that you desperately want, you know, do it. The, the history has shown though, that it's better to trade down than to trade up. You're going to get more value. You have more bullets, you know, you use it, you, you have, you have more opportunities to get there. So I think that's, uh, an interesting scenario, but yes, I would say that this is a, there could be some movement in this year's draft, uh, but we'll see exactly how, how likely that is. I think we need to wait till we get a little bit closer. I think there could be some movement ahead of the draft too. Um, so I'm excited to see kind of where everything goes because teams have to move salary around and all these different things. And, and that's an opportunity where the Kraken could potentially take advantage. Dana asks, has Adam Sikora improved his draft draft initial situation? due to his promising performance for Slovakia at the World Championship. So Adam Sikora is the youngest player in the World Championship this year. He's wearing a cage. Um, and honestly, uh, I was surprised to see him on the final roster, given the fact that you know he, he has been um, very much part of that class of Slovakian players that everybody's really excited about. And that includes uh, Philip Meshar, who I mentioned, Nemec, Slavkovsky. But Sikora made the senior national team and after not playing for the first few games, they put him in the lineup and he makes an impact in a depth role. So Adam Sikora is a really interesting player. He played professionally throughout this season. He, um, he He's not a big guy. He's not a, he's not, uh, a super um, you know physical guy uh, at 5'10", 172. But let's also consider this. He was born eight days before the NHL draft cutoff. So he's not only one of the youngest players at the Men's World Championship this year, he's one of the youngest players in this draft class. So he's eight days away from being in next year's draft class. And what would that do for him? So this year with Nitra, which where he played with Simon Nemich, so plenty of people have seen him this year, 46 games, 17 points, 10 goals. Pretty good numbers for a player at his age. In the playoffs, he had five points in 19 games. Now at the World Championship, he has a goal and an assist. And his ice time has kind of stayed pretty low, but he did in in their last game he played nearly 11 minutes, so that was his highest of, of the of the tournament. But he's shown excellent skating ability, um, an ability to get to the hard areas of the ice, no fear at all against the the professionals, a maturity in his game, good vision. He's shown me a lot in this, um, and he's a guy that I think will be especially exciting. Um, you know, as, as the draft goes on now, I do think Dana, that he could have potentially moved into a first round conversation. Um, he's at least reminded people, Hey, I could do this. Now the world championship has been an exceptional train, uh, exceptional place for these players to get, um, to get more views and to get better views. And, Slavkovsky has has improved his draft stock, I feel like, with his performance. Nemec has done the same. Juracek hasn't played as much because they added uh, Michael Kempney to to the roster, and he um, that that really limited 
uh, Juracek's ice time. But before that happened, he looked really good. Marco Kasper was a top line forward for Austria in this in this tournament and looked really good as well. So he's improved his draft stock. So I think Adam Sikora, with what he's done so far, absolutely has helped his draft stock. I think it's more likely he goes in the second round, but I do think there's more potential there for a team to say, hey, that guy's got something. We should be looking into him much more closely. Um, and I I would not blame a team for doing that because I think that there is a lot to, to like about what he's done this season. And I'm fascinated by the player and really excited to see where he ends up going. Leo asks, how would you redraft the top five of the 2020 draft at this point? It's a good question. Um, and I think... You know, I've definitely done redrafts over the years that have been um, more aggressive in terms of, you know, doing it two years out and, you know, using what we've learned. You know, I think, quite frankly, it's what I've seen so far. I don't know that I would necessarily redraft it. I may consider uh, Tim Stutzla uh, at number one or number two. Lucas Raymond, uh, you know, could he move up potentially? I do have a little minor, moderate, not really. I mean, like, I think that I had Quentin Byfield, too, considered him at number one. And when he got drafted, I knew that there was a longer road ahead because it was going to take him longer to reach the ceiling. But I thought of all the players in that draft, he had the highest ceiling. I think what we've seen as a professional, there's a lot more work to be done. Um, and that was evident in the AHL last season. That's evident in the NHL this season, that there is a long way to go before you could say that he is, you know, at that level. I still think that he's shown, he's given me no reason to believe that he can't meet that ceiling though. So I wouldn't change that very much. I think Alexi Lafreniere, the numbers have been down, but I also think that some of it is role. Some of it is, you know, the way things have been, but he, I've liked the way he's played in the Stanley cup playoffs. I think that he's shown um, his game is progressing and that's a player where, you know, I, I just think that he still has a lot of talent, but Tim Stutzla is the guy that I think really took his game to a different level. And, He's got speed. He's got uh, he's got skill. You know he can he can make a lot of different plays. So I would say that Tim Stutzla is a guy that still very much uh, would be in that conversation for number one. I think you could put Lucas Raymond in that conversation. Obviously, he's outproduced uh, Alexi Lafreniere over two seasons. Who Lafreniere has had two seasons. Raymond has only had one. Um, but you know I like those players. But I don't think that you could materially change it. And I'd still have Jake Sanderson. At number five there, even though Jamie Drysdale has played two seasons in the NHL, I think Jake Sanderson is going to be a long-term number one defenseman. He had a real hard luck year this year with injuries and all different things, and he's he's injured again, and he's got a rehab for the early part of his summer. Uh, but he is signed by Ottawa, and I do think he's going to be a massive impact player and that Stutzla and Sanderson could be cornerstone pieces for the Senators going forward. So uh, boring answer, but... I wouldn't change it at this point uh, with the exception of, you know, Stutzla probably I would consider him at two over Byfield. All right. Christian asks, this is oh, we're moving away. Sorry, we're moving away. I should probably do a transition. Should we do a transition? Let's do a transition. Um, we're moving away from the 2022 draft. And the next few questions are about prospects that are already drafted. And we start today with the Anaheim 
Ducks, and this question comes from Christian. Can you speak a bit on some of the Ducks' prospects, Olin Zellweger, Mason McTavish, Sasha Pasajov, etc., and who they could potentially be looking at for in this draft with their first two first-round picks? Stoked to see them add onto an already loaded system. And it is a loaded system. You know, I think the Ducks have done a really nice job, and you consider the guys, like, you know, you have to include Trevor Zegris and Jamie Drysdale and, you know, all those young guys that, that have made an impact on the NHL roster already. Mason McTavish got some games this year, and I think you should absolutely be excited about him. But the guy that intrigues me the most at this point is Olin Zellweger and the the incredible rise in his game. And, you know, last year at the Under-18 World Championship, even though he was on the ice with Blake, Brant Clark, and Brant Clark went eighth overall, Olin Zellweger outplayed him in that tournament and eventually took his job on the first power play unit. And I think that that was the first indication that, hey, we've got something here um, special. Now, I had Olin Zellweger 48th in my draft rankings, and it, obviously I was too low on him. Um, but you have to consider that he only played 11 WHL games last season, and then he did have eight points in the under-18 World Championship. But you're just, you know, when you start from a certain place with a player and you you know, expect it to go a different way. And we had Brent Clark had his phenomenal rookie season in the OHL, you know, and he, then he, he played professionally last year. You're just saying, oh, wow, he's got, there's a lot of different tools there. But Olin Zellweger may ultimately end up being the better of the two. And I don't say that lightly. Um, I think he's a little bit more well-rounded. He doesn't have uh, great size. You know, he's 5'10", not great size for a defenseman. Skates extremely well, moves pucks at an expert level. I mean, 78 points in 55 WHL games this season, um, including 14 goals. He had nine points in the playoffs. And I, I just think he's got a special capability of, of moving pucks. And so I look at him and, and, you know, Adam Fox went in the second round. Guys like that, I, I think... I don't want to compare him to Adam Fox, but I see a lot of similarities in the way that they play and the way that, you know, Zellweger is, it processes the game. And I think Adam Fox is one of the smartest defensemen in the NHL right now because he does a lot with not a lot of physical gifts. Um, you know, he's not the biggest guy. He's not the best skater, but he is an elite anticipator. Um, and that is something I think Zellweger does exceptionally well in, in addition to moving pucks uh, exceptionally well. So you got a real good one there. Mason McTavish is a fascinating player on so many fronts. I mean, he's brutish. He's he's strong. He can make plays uh, any which way you want. He had 40 points in 24 OHL games this uh, season when he moved to Hamilton. At the trade deadline, he had 17 points, has 17 points in 10 playoff games. Did play in the Olympics, played in the World, uh, the World Juniors, where he had five points in the two games before it got canceled. He is a monster. He's a man-child. I think he's going to be an exceptional player. He's going to be a, a, a key player for the Ducks as soon as next season. I think he's, you know, absolutely has lived up to his number three overall billing. Um, he's a he's a very unique talent in that way um, and not surprised at all to see that he is continuing on that that track. Um, Sasha Pastajov, I think, you know, over the course of this season – had a just a tremendous start to the year. He was scoring at will. He was leading the OHL and scoring at one point. Tailed off a little bit. You know, I also think you know didn't love necessarily what we saw in the only game that he ended up playing in the in the World Juniors. Not gonna judge him based off of that. Didn't have any points in the four playoff games for the Guelph Storm. Did have seventy six and sixty five games 
uh, regular season, with including 34 goals. So it's a continuation. He's a cerebral, smart offensive player. I think he's got some of the best offensive sense and, and, and really a great finishing ability. But again, the skating is going to need to improve, and I think that's why he slipped as far as he did in the draft. Um, you know, 66 overall, I personally had him as a first round prospect. I think that, you know, I understand the fall and I think that maybe, you know, I was a little too high on him, but at the same time, I still think he's going to be an NHL player and find a way. Now, as for the ducks in terms of this draft, you know, they've got the number 10 overall pick. They've got the Bruins pick. I believe that'll come in at around 23rd overall. So they've got some some options. I think, you know, at that number 10 spot, they can go any which way. I think you'll have, you know, one of the defensemen could be there. You know, Pavel Mentukov could be there. You, you know, Ryan, uh, Ryan Kennedy talked about how much uh, Ryan Chesley has really risen up boards. You know, he'd be an option. Uh, but then, you know, you also have other guys that, you know, is Frank Nazar going to be there? Do you want to get more skill? Do you want to get more, more dynamic elements? Uh, you know, do you want to find, uh, find, find a wing? Um, you know, they have options there, but at 10, I think you're still going to get one of the top, you know, the upper tier players in this draft. Um, you know, there's defensemen available. You got a guy like Kevin Korchinski, as I mentioned, Mantukov, you know, offensive minded defensemen. Um, so I, I do think that the Ducks have, have plenty of options there at 10. It gets a lot harder to figure out where things are going to go at 23, but, you know, say, hey, is there, can we, can we, can we stay, keep getting bigger? Can we keep getting, uh, more there. Um, and I think that that's going to give them a lot of options. You know, maybe they, that's when they get their defense, maybe Owen Pickering, a big guy that, that, you know, can play a good two way game or, or maybe they, maybe that's when they're able to get Chesley if he slips to that, that level. So, um, those are the types of, uh, players that you'd be looking at in that particular range. Next question comes from Joe and he said, I'm not sure when you're recording another podcast, but I thought I'd post a question I'd had on my mind. I know it's not draft related, but which is your specialty this time of year. But I think if you, but do you think it's possible that Connor McDavid could win the Conn Smythe without making the finals? If so, how many points would he need, in your opinion, to be in the conversation? That is a great question, and you know there there have been so few MVPs that made the finals and lost, so it's really difficult for me to see that scenario. However. When you consider the fact that Connor McDavid is producing at a level not really seen since Gretzky, you know, in terms of points per game in these playoffs, you're starting to think, wow. And you watch any Oilers game, and I don't think this team, I don't, I don't think the Oilers are a particularly good hockey team. Um, I don't, but but Connor McDavid has put them on his back. I mean, Leon Dreisaitl is playing on one leg and is still producing. And then you've got Connor McDavid right now, as I record this, 25 points in 11 playoff games. I still don't think he could win the cuts if, if he doesn't make the finals. Um, it looks at this point, with them up 3-1 on Calgary, that they're going to make at least the conference final. Um, uh, and, and if he has a lot of points there, I mean, like it's almost like he's going to have to have like 40 points in the playoffs without making the finals and saying, oh, well, he's the MVP of the playoffs. But it's a great question because I think it is something that we have to consider. How much of an individual effort is it going to take for Connor McDavid to get the Oilers as far as they've gotten so far? And will how far will they go in the next round? Fascinating to see. I would not be shocked if he picked up votes, but I do not think that he would pick up enough to win it all because it, without the Oilers making the final. 
if they do make the final, whether they win or lose, I think it would be his. It would be his unless they lost to Tampa and Andre Vasilevsky keeps doing what he's doing once again and gets another con Smythe for himself because Andre Vasilevsky has been out of this world and and really has only gotten better as the playoffs have progressed. Let's take a look. How you know what? How much better do you want him to be at this stage? Because he's got a 932 save percentage, which is a little bit below his 937 from the last playoffs. But in the last series, he was cooking at about, you know, he only allowed three goals in the last series. So if you take away that, if he continues on that trend, it'd be really difficult not to give it to Vasilevsky if Tampa is able to three-peat. Next one comes from Sean. What is the most effective way to fix the player safety department in the NHL? You know, it's it's a tough question because I know there are a lot of people that that are very frustrated with the way things have gone and, and the way that things are handled, uh, the consistency element. I think that it is a difficult job. There's a lot of leaning on precedent, and I think that one of the things that that the, the only way it gets fixed and no one will ever be completely happy with how it is, but I do think that there is a situation here where there may have to be a new standard, um, you know, in terms of the way head contact is is governed, the way that you know checks from behind, cross checks, those things, um, things of that nature, intent to injure kind of situations, you know, there has to be kind of that that guideline, those guidelines in place. But I think that they have a really difficult job. I think that they have mostly done a good job under tough circumstances, and I just don't feel strongly enough one way or the other that they have ruined the game or something. I don't think so. I, I think that they, they have a difficult job, and they've done it to the best of their ability. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I can understand the frustration of people, especially when you see injurious plays or when you see plays that didn't result in an injury, injury but just as easily could have and not have the stronger suspension. Um, I, I get that. All right, so now for some frivolity. Uh, thank you, Sean Leahy, for that. Adam Banks or Charlie Conway at first overall? And, I mean, like, here's the deal. Nobody complained when Charlie gave up his jersey to Adam Banks uh, for the championship game against Iceland. And spoiler alert, sorry about that. If you if you haven't seen D2, the Ducks are back. So, like everybody was like, yeah, that actually makes sense. Thank you, Charlie, for doing that. Now we get to D3 and suddenly he's their best player. I mean, you know, and a little bit whiny. I think there are definitely some character concerns. He doesn't handle hard coaching well. Um, reminds me a little bit of, of myself in that regard. And that's maybe why I didn't make it. Uh, but yeah, so, I mean, Banksy, uh, not the, uh, the street artist, but Adam Banks. Uh, elite player at every level, made the varsity as a freshman um, in D3. You know, anytime you see him, he had a stick in his hand, um, played through pain, uh, you know, against Iceland. Uh, he was a guy that every team targeted, and he still managed to put up points. Um, I mean, I just, you know, they call him a cake eater. They say, you know, that maybe he is comes from a place of privilege, but, you know, I, I think that he's he's a gutsy performer. And, and uh, in the end, a good team guy uh, came back to the team in D3. He knew that the varsity wasn't uh, the right step for him and, and took took his development by the hands and, and went headfirst into it. So Adam Banks, number one all day. Charlie Conway, 
Um, probably not getting drafted. No offense to, to Chuck, uh, but not, not getting drafted. Uh, I mean, like, you give up your jersey for the biggest game of the year, and everybody's like, yep, yep, that's actually, this is going to help us. Um, so, tough, tough look, tough look. Sean, thank you for the question, and thanks to everybody for the questions, and thanks for sticking with an hour and a half long podcast, indulging me uh, with prospect talk and also uh, everything else. So I I want to close this podcast just by saying I hope that all of you stay safe out there. Um, please take care of each other. Please be kind to one another. Please, uh, please, uh, if you if you find it in your heart or if you feel very strongly or passionately, um, contact your local politicians. Um, if you feel strongly enough about what's going on in the state of the world to make change. Um, this is supposed to be a democracy, and hopefully if enough people speak up, we will make the world a better place. Um, I know it's been a tough couple of days on that front. You know, My heart goes out to all the families in Texas, all the families in Buffalo um, that are still reeling. I mean, we've had two of these in a week in very different scenarios and, and equally tragic. Um, and so I hope that we can find a way to make this world a better place. And it only starts with uh, helping each other. So the, even if the littlest thing that you can do is just by making somebody's day better, by taking care of each other, by looking out for each other, you know, small things can go a long way too. Thanks everybody for hanging out with us this week. Uh, it's a lot of fun to talk to you. And uh, again, stay safe, be kind. We'll catch you next week right here on Talking Hockey Sense. Thank you.